The Senate will come back Monday and stay in session through Thursday. The House will come back tomorrow and stay in session through Friday. Last week in the House, the House came back to work on Tuesday and took up and passed two bills under suspension of the rules. Normally, I pass over these bills because they pass with huge bipartisan majorities, and that's usually a pretty good sign that they're non-controversial items like renaming post offices and federal buildings. But Tuesday night was something different. One of the two bills passed under suspension was H.R. 550, the Immunization Infrastructure Modernization Act. Every single Democrat who voted voted for it, and 80 Republicans did too, while 130 Republicans voted against it. What does the bill do? In the words of Breitbart, quote, the government would provide $400 million in taxpayer dollars to fund immunization system data modernization and expansion, a system otherwise defined as a confidential population-based computerized database that records immunization doses administered by any healthcare provider to persons within the geographic area covered by that database, end quote. The text specifically outlines an expansion of Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and Public Health Department capabilities and the ability for state and local health departments, as well as public and private health care providers, to share health data with the federal government, end quote. Don't ask me why 80 Republicans voted for this bill. I cannot explain it. At least two of them, Debbie Lesko and Dave Schweikert, both from Arizona, have put out statements after the fact denying that they had voted for legislation that would create a federal vaccine database. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed another five bills under suspension of the rules. On Thursday, the House took up and passed the rule governing floor consideration of H.R. 6119, the Further Extending Government Funding Act, also known as the Continuing Resolution. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 6119, the continuing resolution, and then they were done. This week in the House, they'll return tomorrow with the first vote scheduled for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider 16 bills under suspension of the rules with the possibility of a second series of votes on another 14 bills under suspension. In addition, the House will consider a revised pre-conferenced version of the National Defense Authorization Act, which has been stalled in the Senate. Further, the House will consider H.R. 5314, the Protecting Our Democracy Act. There may be consideration of legislation related to the debt limit and legislation related to end-of-the-year health care provisions, that is, Medicare cuts under sequestration. Additional legislative items are also possible. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back to work on Monday, but was still stuck on getting an agreement to move to the National Defense Authorization Act. So no votes were taken Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm Brian Eddie Nelson to be Undersecretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Crimes. Then the Senate voted to discharge the nomination of Rachel S. Rollins to be U.S. Attorney for the District of Massachusetts from the Committee on the Judiciary. Then, after a great deal of wheeling and dealing, the Senate voted on an amendment offered by Senators Mike Lee of Utah and Roger Marshall of Kansas that would have blocked funding on the continuing resolution for enforcement or implementation of the Biden vaccine mandate. Two Republicans, Senators John Thune of South Dakota and Bill Haggerty of Tennessee, were not present for the vote because of family obligations, so the amendment failed by a vote of 48 to 50. Then, once that amendment was voted down, the Senate took up and passed H.R. 6119, the continuing resolution, by a vote of 69 to 28, and then they were done. 
This week in the Senate, they'll return today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a vote on cloture on the nomination of Jessica Rosenworcel to be a member of the Federal Communications Commission. Then, based on the majority leader's cloture filings, I anticipate the Senate will proceed to consideration of the nominations of Deidre Hamilton to be a member of the National Mediation Board and Chris Magnus to be Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. After that, I expect the Senate will turn to consideration of that revised version of the National Defense Authorization Act and consideration of Indiana Republican Senator Mike Braun's effort to use the Congressional Review Act to overturn the OSHA rule imposing a vaccine mandate on private companies with 100 or more employees, about which we'll talk more in a moment. More on the Saleh Omarova nomination. On Thanksgiving Day, Axios reported that no fewer than five Senate Democrats have said they will oppose the nomination of Saleh Omarova to be controller of the currency. Three of them, John Tester of Montana, Mark Warner of Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona are members of the Banking Committee. According to the report, the three of them told Banking Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown, Democrat of Ohio, in a phone call on the day before Thanksgiving that they would not support the nomination. Also, according to the report, to, to the report two other Democrat senators, John Hickenlooper of Colorado and Mark Kelly of Arizona, also opposed the nomination. Now, more on the vaccine mandate. If you're a supporter of President Biden's vaccine mandates, you had a rough week last week. Two federal district courts struck down portions of the Biden vaccine mandates that came before their courts, and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals denied the Biden administration's motion to move the combined cases to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. In Louisiana, a federal district judge blocked the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services from implementing its mandate on health care workers. The ruling applies to all but 10 states nationwide. It doesn't apply to those 10 states because those states already blocked the mandate. In Kentucky, a federal district judge blocked that portion of the Biden vaccine mandate that required federal contractors to have their, vac- their employees vaccinated. That ruling applies only in Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. In addition, as mentioned above, the Senate voted on an amendment Thursday for the continuing resolution that would have prohibited any funding in that bill from going to pay for the enforcement or implementation of the Biden vaccine mandates. That amendment failed by a vote of 48 to 50. This week, we're expecting that the Senate will take up Indiana Republican Senator Mike Braun's effort to use the Congressional Review Act to block the vaccine mandate rules on private employers from being implemented. And that's where it gets interesting. While West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin voted against the Marshall-Lee Amendment on the CR, Manchin has indicated that he plans to vote with all 50 Republicans on the Braun CRA effort this week. That means it would pass the Senate and go to the House for consideration. Now to government funding. After several weeks of negotiations, senior appropriators announced last Thursday morning that they had come to a deal on a continuing resolution that would extend government funding beyond the scheduled December 3rd expiration date. The Democrats had wanted the CR to be as short-term as possible because they wanted to come to an agreement to spend much more money as soon as possible. Republicans, on the other hand, were perfectly happy to continue spending money at the current, that is, lower rate of spending for as long as possible, so they wanted to extend the life of the CR as long as they could. Democrats began the negotiations a few weeks ago pitching for a two-week CR that would extend government funding until December 17th. By the time the dust settled, the two sides agreed to a CR that would extend government funding until 
February 18, eight weeks longer than Democrats had wanted. Now to the debt ceiling, depending on who you talk to and when you talk to them, congressional leaders of both parties and in both houses are considering adding a provision raising the debt ceiling to the National Defense Authorization Act, or are not considering a provision raising the debt ceiling to the National Defense Authorization Act. Other than that, there's been no movement on the debt ceiling in the last week. More on budget reconciliation. On Thursday afternoon, CNN released an interview with Arizona Democrat Senator Kirsten Sinema, in which Sinema refused to commit to voting for President Biden's Build Back Socialist bill. Other than that, there was no movement on the bill in the Senate where it now awaits action. Finally, something we haven't mentioned in a long time, the Trump tax cuts of 2017. On Wednesday, the Heartland Institute released a new study measuring the effects of the Republicans' Tax Cuts and Jobs Act on personal income taxes. It shows that contrary to the spin we've been hearing for the last four years from liberals, Democrats, and the mainstream media, the effect of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was to lower personal income taxes for virtually all taxpayers across the board. Filers with an adjusted gross income, that is AGI, of $15,000 to $30,000 enjoyed an average tax cut of 16 to 26% in 2018, the first year the tax cuts went into effect and the most recent year for which the data is available. Filers who earned between $30,000 and $100,000 received a tax cut of 15 to 17%. Filers who had an AGI between $100,000 and $500,000 received a tax cut of between 11% and 13%. Further, no income group with an AGI of at least $500,000 got an average tax cut exceeding 9%, and the average tax cut for filers with an AGI of a million dollars or more was less than 6%. So contrary to what the liberals have been saying for years, the 2017 Trump tax cuts actually skewed more heavily toward those on the lower end of the income scale. You'll find a link to the Heartland Institute study in this week's suggested reading. And that's our Washington Report.